Please rise and hear again the Holy Gospel, the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the gospel of the Lord, and this is our text. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't you just hate to lose. Don't you just hate to lose. We play Yahtzee when we go on vacation, and I really don't like to lose at, at Yahtzee. And then on the beach, we play ladder ball and bocce ball and some other things that we might come up with, and I am competitive as we do those games, even if it means just passing time, because I hate to lose. It could be Scrabble, or maybe play Bridge, or maybe a team game, a sports game. I'm sure you don't start those games intending to lose, do you? At the same time, you really may have nothing to do with the game itself because you are merely a spectator, but you are, emo you are emotionally invested into the outcome of the game because you have a loyalty, a loyalty to a team, and when they lose, you lose. I had an opportunity over... Uh, Thursday evening, Friday, uh, driving back yesterday to go to St. Louis because my son and his wife and my granddaughter made it as far south as St. Louis. And, and of course, being in St. Louis, it also meant that if the Redbirds were in town, we'd have an opportunity to go to the game. And I've already explained this to Bible class this morning. But So we got tickets to the Cardinals and Cubs game uh, for Friday night, which was pretty good game up until about the eighth inning and then the Cardinals went south and and the and the sad thing about it was my, my son Aaron's best man in his wedding best friend from college lives in St. Louis even though he's born and raised in Chicago and he's a Cubs fan and so we took him and Aaron and pa Paul and I we all went to the game on Friday night and then yesterday during the day game uh, Aaron and his friend and their wives were going to the game and they could take their children since it was a day game. And the Cardinals got beat again. 
I was getting texts all the way home yesterday from Aaron about how poorly the Cardinals were playing. Fortunately, it was a split doubleheader, and the Cardinals at least won last night. But I hate to lose, even if I'm not even involved in the game, but merely a spectator or a fan, which is short for being a fanatic. That is not where any of us like to find ourselves. Losing wasn't Peter's way either. He wasn't too sure he liked what he heard Jesus saying to the disciples in our text for today, explaining to them that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter didn't like what he was hearing. This did not seem to fit Peter's idea of the coming kingdom and his part in the kingdom. It made him uncomfortable to hear Jesus saying these things. He was admitting imminent defeat. He he was getting ready to play the game, if you will, and he had already given up because he was going to lose. Did he really know what he was saying? Jesus was, after all, the Messiah because the miracles, the signs and wonders that he was doing were proving that. And Peter had a front row seat. And Peter also knew that he had a position of power as part of the twelve. Last week, as part of this very same reading, we heard Peter make the good confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, as he spoke up for the twelve, as he so often did. So losing did not have any place here. Suffering and death did not match Peter's perception of whom and what he thought he would be in the new kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. So he thought it would be best to straighten Jesus out. And he took him aside and he said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus' response to Peter was definitely not one of commendation but of condemnation, as Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. How quickly, how quickly things change. One moment Peter is confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and is commended by Jesus, who pointed out that this had been revealed to him by his Father in heaven. The very next moment, Peter, confident that he is on the winning team, seeks to correct his manager, his coach, his rabbi, and is reprimanded with the words of Jesus, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. It could be said that he went from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat, in just a few moments. When it comes to the things of God and the things of men, the things of God always win out, even if we don't understand it. Jesus came to be the Savior to save lives by losing His. The things of men made this necessary. Christ Jesus our Lord came into a dying and broken world To save it. And this world is dying. And this world is broken. 
We see things the way Peter saw things, don't we? Our idea of saving lives is usually quite different from what Jesus had in mind. The George S. Patton approach makes a lot of sense to us. Nobody ever won a war by dying for his country. You win a war by making the other poor guy die for his country. That does not correspond with what Jesus had in mind and what Jesus shared with the twelve. He understood his sending and he understood what it would take to fulfill the promises of the Father given through the prophets, which all pointed to him as their fulfillment. The greatest and most holy act of all time, Jesus' sacrificial death for you, for me, and for all. And that sacrificial death will look to us like a terrible travesty of justice. A dark day indeed, but a day in which we call good. It was by his losing that we live. And in that losing, he turned the world upside down. Jesus turned the world on its head the day he died on the cross. He looked weak. But he was victorious, even if the victory was hidden. He looked like a loser, but he became your Savior, my Savior. For me then, as well, losing has become winning. Dying has become living. And all the measures the world would apply to me do not work anymore. Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Aren't we always, aren't we always interested in living our life to the fullest? Whatever that might mean. Aren't we always into winning? So what does that mean for us who consider losing to be unacceptable? Christ continues to work this way through us. Having saved the world by his death, Jesus now uses his people to be part of his holy work in losing, in losing our lives for him. This is where we come into the picture in spite of ourselves and our attitudes to the contrary, even if we hate losing. We live in a day and time of self-service, that is, A necessity for us as we visit the gas pumps these days for as we serve ourselves, the price we pay for a gallon of gas is considerably lower by doing so. New technology for checkout systems at the grocery or other large box stores allows us to check ourselves out, to serve ourselves. But specifically serving self, looking out for number one, involves more than just waiting on ourselves as we make certain transactions. Looking out for number one has the implication that we view ourselves more highly than we ought, which is contrary to St. Paul's suggestion in last week's epistle reading. Personal gain for us outweighs the giving of ourselves to others. Put in church terms, it could be said like this. We indulge ourselves in the grace that God has freely poured out upon us without consideration of our call to discipleship. Let me, let me say that one more time. 
we indulge ourselves in the grace that God has freely poured out upon us without consideration of our call to discipleship, the giving of ourselves to the Lord and to our neighbor, to others, as we bear witness to Jesus. Yet in our baptisms, we not only receive the victory that Christ won for us by his suffering, death, and resurrection, but we also are called to be his disciples. We are called to lose our lives in him who gave his life for us. Today, martyrs are being made in places of persecution around the world, and thanks be to God, it's not at our doorstep. But that doesn't mean that it won't be. It may be. But so, too, in this place, countless Christians are giving their lives one moment at a time, one act of love at a time, one Sunday school lesson taught, one word of forgiveness offered, and one act of kindness shown. That's what we've been called to be as God's forgiven and redeemed people. Every minute, every day, every hour spent in any such activity is one less we have left for our selfish, worldly ways. In our service to the Lord and our neighbor, we are losing part of our lives, truly dying to this life, to live in the life that the Lord has given us. Jesus' cross is our victory over sin, and the empty tomb is our victory over the grave. That is our power to salvation. And further, it is our power to live out the sanctified life as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, members of his body, which is the church, always remembering that though that church is his church, and we are his, we are his people. Now that we have been redeemed by Jesus' great sacrifice for our lives, our lives then are redefined by the cross upon which he died. The cross inscribed upon our foreheads and hearts in baptism, just like it was with Katie and Emma and Luke this morning, has become the very signature of who we are, that we're God's people we ought not be surprised if we suffer for or ask to sacrifice for our faith. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what it means to take up our crosses and follow Him. While the world views this skeptically, and while we may have trouble from time to time understanding this, Jesus promises us that this is His way. And His ways become our way. As Jesus pointed out to Peter, he does, not, he does things this way, not our way, and not Satan's way. Satan's way of power and glory, but humbly, servant-like, with a cross. And what looks to all the world like losing, it is this losing that is turned into winning in Easter glory and resurrection joy. So we are given the victory, and as it becomes ours by God's grace... We are called to lose our lives for Christ's sake. Amen. May this peace of God which surpasses our human understanding guard our hearts and guard our minds in faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.